The Start On Demand. On demand. Hey, hey, it's GMAC. On behalf of Brett McGarry and Loren McNabb, this is The Start On Demand. Let's get right down to business. It's The Start On Demand, starting now. It is The Start for a Wednesday morning. Mackling and McNabb with you, Brett McGarry. Still leaving his mark on the show, though, Loren. I'm just sending out an email to the crew for our having a coffee talking segment in about 40 minutes' time, and Brett came across something that is pretty humorous that I think should lighten the mood a little bit, and I think we're going to need to balance that a little bit because uh, yesterday Manitoba reported a single-day record of 16 COVID-19 deaths in the province. There was a little bit of good news in the numbers, but you just can't get around that number 16. No, that's the deadliest day that we've seen in Manitoba in this outbreak. And the fact that when you add up the number of deaths just in the past week alone, right, you're, you're talking dozens and, and hundreds really in the last month. And so, yeah, there's a lot of sobering things to talk about and to, and to discuss and to figure out how we're going to navigate our way through the next few weeks in hopes of bringing those numbers down in terms of the case count, Greg, but then also bringing the numbers of deaths down. And so that's leading to all sorts of conversations, because if you look at yesterday's death toll and the counts of where they're happening, lots of personal care homes are being impacted. So after 6.30, we're going to share some audio from the daughter of a woman who passed away at Maple's care home last month. They believe it was a heart attack. At least that's what they were told, but they haven't been given any other details. And so she's got some heartbreaking audio about just the concerns she had in and around the days of her mom's death and the questions she still has for Rivera. And of course, in her next statement, a new grievance you just heard uh, in the news with Jeff Braun, an agreement has been signed between the nurses union and the province that could last weeks, if not months, that's going to now see thousands of re- nurses potentially redeployed to the areas of highest need. And so that's going to be a big change coming the way of many frontline workers who will wake up this morning and potentially get a phone call in the days or hours ahead saying, look, we now you need, need you to work at this personal care home, not the one you're at, or this intensive care unit, not the one you're at, because they're trying to get people to the places that are struggling the most. And so that's going to be a big change coming their way. But yes, we need to find some levity. We need to find moments where we laugh and uh, bless Brett for always being the one to send us a text. I think this one came in the middle of the night a couple of nights did. ago. It did. And then he apologized for sending it when he did. <laughs> and, uh, Brett, you know, we, uh, Brett's uh, genuinely uh, like a brother to me. And, and Loren, I'm not going to speak for you, but uh, the three of us are like family. We spend so much time together. And so when we have these text message exchanges, sometimes they have nothing to do with work, but far too often and, and all too often, that's exactly what they're about. But that doesn't mean we can't have a little fun. So this is uh, what Brett had to say says, if you guys need something a little bit of fun to do this week, and I apologize, he's always apologizing, if you've seen this already, uh, our colleague Anya Nazaravich uh, said she could uh, see the morning show having fun with this, and the hashtag is add a word, ruin a Christmas song. So you, the essential is uh, you take a title of a Christmas carol or a Christmas song and you add a word and completely ruin it. Like, how about this? Jingle bell rock bottom. (laughs) (laughs) So so we have to put our thinking caps on for that one. Oh, and if you want to, just head to Twitter, type in that hashtag and people are posting different uh, memes and gifts and all the rest. uh, Like little bummer boy instead of drummer boy. And it's this little sad boy just kind of going... "Mm." (laughs) So, you know, add a word, ruin a Christmas carol. And hey, it's December. I used to have a rule that I wouldn't play Christmas carols until December because, you know, you don't want to get too, I don't want to say sick of them. That's not the right word, right? But they come too early. (laughs) You start hearing them in October in stores, Greg, right? And you're like, come on. We're not even at Halloween yet. Like, this is ridiculous. And there are only so many of them. Right. That are good. So, so there are people having a lot of fun with this, and uh, partly I'm guessing because, hey, man, it's the year of the uh, pandemic. It's been rough, and people are uh, 
looking for a way to laugh, I think. Well, some uh, good news out of Great Britain. This should give us all, I think, a little bit of hope. If uh, you are hoping to get a vaccine for COVID-19, Great Britain saying that they may be delivering and putting needles in the arm, so to speak, within a week. Wow. So, that's it. That's well, it. I mean, they they started dealing with this pandemic a lot earlier than us, right? Is that it is that wave rolled right. across the world? But to hear that they are prepared this week to to get that out there, and we're still waiting to hear when we might actually have it in our province, let alone in potentially the in the hands of mm-hmm. pharmacists, right? Yeah, so well, Justin or doctors, Tr- yeah, Justin Trudeau saying that it could be uh, September uh, before we all have an opportunity to uh, get vaccinated for COVID-19. But as we mentioned, we want to keep some balance in the show today. We want to keep you laughing. We want to keep you informed at the same time. And uh, important news from the North Pole, courtesy of our friend Tyler Walsh and his incredible Lego stop motion videos, Loren. Yeah, this guy is, he's such a great uh, human being, really, and a great asset to Winnipeg. He's such a proud champion of Manitoba. And a few months ago, we introduced our listeners to what he had done with some words of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Drew speaking to kids several months ago about how he knew that this was hard, the pandemic was hard, and it's hard not to be able to play with your friends, but that we're going to get through this together. And so Tyler Walsh, uh, what, how do you, what do you even call it? He created like a Lego movie with, he built a whole Lego set with a fake Trudeau and a fake playground and all the rest and then put the words of the Prime Minister underneath. Well, now he's gone and created another video, but this time a bit more, uh, is it jovial the right word? Because at least of the character. I, I would suggest and uh, some important news for the little ones in your house as to whether or not in these pandemic times, Santa Claus will in fact be able to make an appearance. So we'll have the details for you coming up later on this morning. We will also uh, visit with Eric Howarchuk. He is the son of the late, great Winnipeg Jet Dale Howarchuk. He's going to tell us uh, in the uh, day after Giving Tuesday how his organization uh, created to support and, and show support for his dad, Dale Howarchuk. It's called Howarchuk Strong. What they are planning to do and hoping to do in our community in a way of giving back. So some good news, some fun, uh, but also we will keep you informed this morning on the start. I'm Greg Mackling, along with Loren McNabb. And, uh, I feel like I should have done an anchor thing there. Do what? it again. Just say your name. I'm Greg Mackling. And I'm Loren McNabb. This Together. Mor- <laughs> nothing else after that <laughs> i was wondering if you did okay we'll have to uh we'll have to work on that off the air and then we'll, we'll try it again on the la- on the air we have to uh get serious for a few moments here because i, I read the letter from the woman we're about to hear from that uh, she sent to us here at Global News, and it was heartbreaking to read. And I've not heard this audio yet, Loren. We've spent many months here on this program talking about the challenges in our personal care homes, particularly when it comes to dealing with COVID-19. We know many of you, our listeners, our friends, our family, have loved ones living in long-term care. And if you're in a situation where you haven't, been able to see them or visit them, our hearts genuinely go out to you. Yeah, and the family that you mentioned in this next story, they've spent months feeling what many Manitobans are feeling, which would be that roller coaster of watching and waiting to see if COVID's going to come or if it's going to go from the facility, of uh, being able to visit and then not being able to visit. There's those phone calls, attempts to connect virtually. And our next guest said they even, you know, at some points, we're just doing those waves through the window as they tried to just reach out to their loved one. And now this family is looking for answers. Their mom was a resident at Maple's personal care home, and last month she passed away. All Jean Giffen has been told is that her mom likely died of a heart attack, but nothing has been confirmed. I'm still waiting to find out. Mm. Um, in the beginning, I was told she had they thought maybe a heart attack. I had been told she was negative, but now I'm not sure because I found out through some other people she was on a ward that did have positive cases. I've been waiting three weeks to hear from them, and I've phoned and I've sent emails, and I've heard nothing back. Not so, even an acknowledgement? Nothing. Oh. Nothing. 
So Jean spoke with Richard and Julie on the news last night after reaching out to the Global with, with that email, with that letter that you referenced, Greg. And she says in the days leading up to her mom's death, she asked if she could come into Maples to help. As her mom, she knew, had been struggling to feed herself and she was really worried for her mom's condition. At that time, I'm, I'm going to guess that was due to COVID. Jean says she was told no. But then she got that phone call November 6th saying her mom had died. And so then Jean asked if she could come in and see with her, be with her mom, you know, hold her hand after she's passed away and was surprised to find out the staff said, sure, come in. So she went in, said she found that her mom's room was a mess. Her mom wasn't even in her room at that time. She'd apparently been moved to a different room, but she was never told why. And she says that a condition that her mom was in, in her opinion, was horrific because she believes her mom looked dehydrated and was very concerned with what happened in the hours leading up to her mom's death, Greg. Hours after her mom passed away, several ambulances were called to Naples shortly after a pandemic took to social, paramedic rather, took to social media to share their concerns about what was going on inside that facility. That post led to an investigation into Maples and the redeployment of more staff as well as the Red Cross. That was November 6th. To find out anything, I've had to watch the news or talk to other families on a Facebook page. And I think they deserve better than that. I think all the families deserve better than that. And they deserved so much better. They're seniors. You know, they're, they're, they have dementia. They have brain injuries. When that happens, they're like, they become our children. And children would never be treated this way. Like, there was a major crisis going on in in that place. And they were screaming for help. The residents were screaming for help. And nobody was listening. And it was another week and a half before the Red Cross got in there. Like, where's our government? Why wasn't the army put in there to help anybody? Just to bring them water, you know? Just to bring them water, and that gets back to Jean's concerns about the possibility that her mom was dehydrated because she says she knows her mom struggled to feed herself. Uh, Jean, again, this is her experiences in this home in the hours after her mom's death, but she says one of the things that startled her the most is that her mom passed away November 6th, and we mentioned that date again because that's the date that we know ambulances were called. That's the date that that post went to social media, and so her mom died hours before that, but it's when Jean turned on the news that weekend and saw all the things that were going on at Maples that she started to think, well, what was going on in the hours leading up to her mom's death? So she wants to know, was it a heart attack? Was there COVID? Who was on staff? Who was there? What other answers can be given? She says she's reached out to Rivera and only in the past few days after she says she started to alert them that she was going to go to media, Mm -hmm. did she started to get some calls back. But in the meantime, doesn't have any other information. We have also reached out to Rivera, Greg, just to ask questions about this particular circumstances, because as you can imagine, I don't think it's whether about it's COVID or not, or or what was going on um, in terms of the outbreak, particularly it's about who was there for her mom in the hours before she died and what kind of care was she being given? And you can only imagine you'd have the exact same questions if this was your mom. Well, I think this highlights, and we've heard it many a time from uh, many of our listeners, from our circle of friends, uh, maybe within your community, that this just highlights that there has been a crisis in personal care homes for a long time in the eyes of many people uh, in the amount of staffing that's provided and the amount of care that our elderly get. I've asked the question, at what point in time did we decide that as a society this was acceptable for our greatest generation to live their final days, their final weeks, their final years like this? I, I, I think we all need to take a good look in the mirror and, and figure out where our priorities need to be in terms of the care of our loved ones. Are they getting the care that they deserve? And the, the obvious question is no. The, the bigger question and the more difficult task will be how do we f- fix it and how do we go about changing that, Loren? And, and not react in the moment, right? I do know there have been changes. And she says, Jean says she feels that the staff, like the, the, the aides and the nurses there were doing the best they could. She didn't 
she didn't have complaints necessarily about the overall care in the moments leading up to, you know, March and the start of this pandemic, but she has serious concerns about the management and the response and, and how much staff was there. And we now know there's been changes that have been made at other personal care homes. We talked last week or two weeks ago about Golden Links Lodge now allowing a caregiver to come in, right? Well, and in so- fact, it, sorry to interrupt you, Loren, not only allowing, almost asking, if not right. begging for somebody because- to come in to, to assist and be at the bedside with right. with with their with their with their uh, residents. And that change in place as a result of the fact that, you know, they need help too, right? There's the staffing questions and then that allows family to be there with their loved one in their moment of need. And so that wasn't the opportunity for Jean, right? She asked if she could come in to feed her mom and be with her mom. And the answer was no, I'm because of protocols at the time. And so protocols have changed, but are they going to change permanently? What will we do going forward to make definitive changes so it's not reacting after the fact but making a policy in place so that if this happens again here's what you get to do as a loved one to be with your loved one to make sure you never have to ask the question did they have enough water before they died gene if you're listening this morning i want to send my heartfelt condolences to everything you've been through thank you for trusting us enough to share your story with us Kelly Moore, Jeff Forche, Jeff Braun, of course, Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb with you on the start. The hashtag is this, add a word, ruin a Christmas song, courtesy of our co-host Brett McGarry, who's away this week. He's suggesting we play this game and you are playing it with us at 780-6868. The, the best one, by the way, will get a $20 gift certificate to Santa Lucia Pizza. We've got one right off the bat here. Morning, uh, good morning to the start. Uh, one of our listeners suggesting if you change a word in this Christmas carol, black and blue Christmas, or we three King Kongs. That sounds a little frightening. One's enough, isn't it, Jeff Braun? Oh yeah. How many how many King Kongs do you need? I think one. I got a bunch. I wrote I wrote down five. Okay, let's go. All? Yeah, give it to us. All I want for Christmas is you dead. No! Oh! <laughs> hey boy. The little homicidal. The little homicidal drummer boy. Oh, wow. What happened to you in your childhood? I don't know. Merry Christmas, darling Satan. (laughs) (laughs) Rudolph the alcoholic red-nosed reindeer. Oh, my goodness. And walking in a nuclear winter wonderland. Okay, wow. Wow. Thanks for cheering us up, Jeff Braun. This This was supposed to be fun. You said ruin the songs. (laughs) Fair enough. You, You certainly did that. Kelly Moore, can you top that? Oh, I'm not sure I'm going to try. Silent nightmare. No. McNabb's red hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, well you have such done. a nice timber, Kelly. Nice timber, nice, Kelly. Why aren't you singing with me more? Uh, oh, no, yeah. God. Did that just come out? <laughs> singing know. with you more, yeah. Loren? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm saving you for last, Loren, because I'm going to suspect you're going to sing uh, whatever it is. How about you, Forche? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, when I was a kid, hey, I used to think the lyrics were, it's time to lick the donkey. <laughs> like, literally, for years, for years, I thought it was, it's time to lick the donkey. Why would you want to do that? Well, that's the thing. I didn't understand the song for so many years of my childhood. It's time to lick the donkey. Like, why? <laughs> Well, because Santa's coming. I, I don't know. <laughs> so it's Donovan the donkey. Isn't that what it is? Dominic. Oh, Dominic. Dominic. Oh, I can see how you can see. Okay. All right. I'll give you that one, actually. It wasn't until I was a teenager when I found out, and I was like, oh, hmm. that's the name of the song. You unruined your childhood, at least. What about you, McNabb? Forche, can you hit it? Oh, which one? We had two. Oh, sorry. Felice. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Bod. Bod. Feliz Navidad. Bod. <laughs> Dad bod. Sing it, Nabber. Sing it. Navidad. Bod. Feliz Navidad. Bod. I have to admit, I think I stole that straight off of Twitter, and I'm trying to figure out who it was because Jimmy Fallon, of course, is gotten involved with this because he loves to sing the late night show host and it was either his or someone 
sent it to him, but that got replayed a couple of times. I like by that a, a lot. People. I like uh, that a lot. Mine's got a little bit stolen from social media. Okay, well, mine's got a little bit more of a local flair. Okay. This is Martina McBride and Elvis Presley. A little bit better of a duo than Moore and McNabb. Just saying. Uh. Of a blue, blue bomber's Christmas. Oh, nice. That's yeah. for Wayne Miller, all right? Of a blue, blue, blue bomber's Christmas. All right, 780-6868 if you want to get in on the gift certificate, $20 to Santa Lucia. Ruin hey, re- a Christmas song. We could rename song. our group. We could rename our group. We could be the Moron Tab and Apple Choir. There you go. Well played, yeah. Kelly Moore. COVID-19 patients continue to fill hospital beds and intensive care units around the world. One country is preparing to vaccinate its first citizens. British media is reporting that hospitals in England have been told to get ready to start doing COVID-19 vaccinations for medical workers as early as next week. Pfizer says it would immediately begin shipping limited supplies to Britain and has been gearing up for even wider distribution if given a similar nod by the US Food and Drug Administration, a decision expected as early as next week. While Britain has ordered enough Pfizer vaccine for 20 million people, it's not clear how much will arrive by year's end. Adding to the distribution challenges, the Pfizer vaccine must be stored in ultra-cold temperatures. Two doses, three weeks apart, are required for protection. Charles de la Desma, London. So there's storage issues to work through. There's a deployment of it, how to get it to people. And of course, as you heard there, they're going to start with medical staff. And so as Canada prepares for COVID-19 vaccines to arrive next year, they're going to have to, officials are going to have to make difficult decisions on how to prioritize which Canadians get the vaccine when it's here. So Global National's Ottawa correspondent, Abigail Beeman, looked into this for us and is explaining who's going to get top priority first. We had no choice because it was the only way to know how many doses would be necessary. Dr. Caroline Quash-Tan chairs Canada's National Advisory Committee on Immunization, or NACI. A month ago, NACI made preliminary recommendations about who should get the vaccine first. The vulnerable topped the list but it wouldn't say who among that group should go first. Following that, we heard that the number of doses were was even more constrained than expected. Knowing Canada would only get enough vaccines for 3 million people at first, Quash Tan tells Global News NACI changed tax, doing the math on a ranked system to target 3 million Canadians in four groups. People living in long-term care facilities and the staff taking care of them would go first followed by other um, elderly Canadians, 80 plus. If there are enough doses, the committee recommends vaccinating older Canadians down to age 70. Healthcare workers should be vaccinated, prioritizing those on the front lines. So not those in offices, but really those who are in contact with patients, um, ideally those uh, taking care of COVID patients. And the fourth group was people from Indigenous communities NASI is still waiting on final data about each vaccine, which could change things. Some may be more effective among certain groups. And the recommendations are just that, not binding. Decisions about who to vaccinate first are up to provinces and territories. As for how those doses are divvied up among them, that's a discussion with Ottawa. There are more conversations to come, uh, and we will keep Canadians informed as we determine what that right order of priority is. Canada's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Theresa Tam, said Tuesday after priority groups are vaccinated, targeting everyone else by age would be the easiest and most scientifically sound way to protect the population. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. The Prime Minister has said that a majority of Canadians shouldn't expect to have been vaccinated until September of 2021. Loren, uh, this is obviously good news, but it's a good news, bad news scenario. A lot of people are concerned, a lot of health officials around the world are concerned that now that we'll see vaccinations beginning in the next several days, and obviously not in all countries, but in select locations and for select people, that the general population might take their feet off the gas in terms of physical distancing, wearing masks, that that they might see, yes, the light at the end of the tunnel, but that tunnel is a lot longer than we think. 
Yeah, and I remember when we first talked about this a couple of weeks ago when both the Pfizer and Moderna came out with their plans for, for vaccines. And we said, listen, like, let's not, you know, don't take your foot off the gas right now because we need to continue on this path of what we're doing if this is, if, if, it, if it continues to bring our numbers down because many of us won't have the opportunity to go anywhere near a vaccine until next fall at the earliest, I would suspect. And then there's the question of who's going to, want to do it who will take it who will get it how many of us get it we all know that it works but the more people who get it the better it works but that's not always the case and and so we'll have to wait and see how that plan is shared and rolled out with us i do think though the the sooner we get details the more understanding and working together kind of concept we can have greg right because if, if we sit here and wait and say well when and if and how that becomes too much part of the noise that's out there like will i get it won't i get it how will i get it you know the more the, the sooner that a plan can be laid out i think the better off we'll all be just in terms of being able to say okay now i get it now i know that earliest opportunity is this month and i will continue with doing what i'm doing until then Kids of all ages are blown away by the creativity and detail in the digital shorts. Our next guest is becoming famous for creating. His latest short film features, as always, Lego characters. And to answer a very important question this time around, he welcomes Santa Claus. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas to all the children of the world. I was just taking Blitzen for a test drive. I'm speaking to you here from the North Pole. Now, 2020 has been a pretty tough year for all of us, and this Christmas might look a little different, but that's okay. I know many of you have written to ask if I will still be able to visit your home, and I'm thrilled to say... Tyler Walsh is the voice behind that video, and he describes himself on his Twitter profile this way, digital and content marketing with Economic Development Winnipeg and Tourism Winnipeg, former news baron, dad, husband, curler, Crecom grad, Roblin Park publicity, and I sometimes play with Lego. Sometimes plays with Lego jumps out at us there, Tyler. Another masterpiece before we get answer to the answer that Santa had. How long did it create, take for you to create this 89 seconds? Oh boy, yeah, 89 seconds probably took about 30 to 40 hours. Oh, come on. <laughs> tedious, tedious hours. <laughs> Holy smokes. I, I had a guess in my head, but it wasn't nearly that high. I mean, it's spectacular, and the work shows and your dedication to it. How, how did you start this? We visited with you when you made that incredible Justin Trudeau uh, video, that stop-motion film that captured the attention of so many. This this short film's already been seen over 10,000 times. That's just on Twitter, Tyler. Uh, tell us uh, how long you've been at this and, and what sparked your interest, not only in, in Lego in the first place, but to create these short films. Well, yeah, I guess it, um, you know, I had sort of dabbled in Lego stop-motion a number of years ago, um, but uh, hadn't really had a chance until, um, you know, we all had a lot of time on our hands uh, in the spring. And, um, you know, my boys and I were actually working on a, a fun little stop motion project uh, just to sort of uh, kill the time, at the, uh, you know, in the spring. And, um, and then that uh, Trudeau had his message uh, with uh, uh, to kids and everything. And, you know, that's where I had come up with the idea of sort of combining a, a Lego version of the prime minister with that message Um uh, to kids so uh, and then you know that blew up and you know since then um, we've invested in some more lego lego sent us some lego which is great um, and uh, you know has just sort of continued uh, building so we need to know the answer to the question because it actually caught me off guard uh, <laughs> in that audio if is santa coming to town or not uh well 100 percent he is yes <laughs> um you know i've uh I've got some sources in the North Pole that tell me that that is the case. And, um, you know, that message that uh, that I've put together there, uh, you know, kind of says it all right. Um, it's uh, uh, they're taking all the precautions in the North Pole that we are uh, to ensure everybody's safe, that the elves are safe. And uh, so, you know, Santa will 100% be visiting the kids' house this year. Tyler, just dad to dad here and with Loren in the, on the conversation, parent to parent, what have you been doing to try and create some normalcy uh, for your kids? It's becoming more challenging by the week. 
Yeah, you know, I think it's just what everybody else is doing. We try and get outdoors and maybe go for a car ride, that kind of stuff, just so we're not all stuck inside. Uh, we've invested in some new games. Our family is big on Settlers of Catan right now, so I don't know if you've tried that one, but it's a good one. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, playing board games, movies, all that kind of stuff. Greg spoke to you dad to dad. I wish I could speak to your wife, wife to wife, because your (laughs) creation of this also, I don't know if you were a parks and recreation fan, Tyler, but there's a scene in there where uh, one of the characters has too much time in his hands and does a whole stop motion with clay, I think it is. And so his wife comes home and is like, what are you doing with your spare time? So she must be just so excellent, excellent and patient with all this because it's fun for your kids, but man, 89 (laughs) seconds for dozens of hours that adds up in the home. Uh, oh, 100%. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a fair amount of eye rolling, but also I think she's, uh, you know, fairly impressed by uh, some, of the, some of the work we've been doing. But I've been relegated to a, a room down in the basement where I can make as big a mess as I want with all this stuff. So mm, it yes, works out. Because the Lego pieces, we all know, whether you love it or not, they get everywhere. Thank <laughs> you. It's so like, and that's the thing, you know, because I have a full-time job, so I'm chipping away, you know, chipping away on these projects. So I'll put on, you know, some pair of pants that I had uh, from earlier in the week, and I'll just reach into my pocket, and there will be a couple of Lego heads here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think uh, we all know that eye roll. If you're in a relationship uh, that's uh, lasted any amount of time, we all know that eye roll. Tyler, thanks for this. Thanks for creating something so special, and congratulations for the attention that it's grabbing. Uh, we can't wait to, to see what you come up with next. Next, uh, Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Best of the season for you, sir. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Tyler Walsh. You can follow him on Twitter at W-A-L-S-H-T. It's Walsh and then his first initial T. And uh, I've also shared this fantastic video. The detail in it, uh, Loren, is extraordinary. It's so well produced. And and Uh, honestly, show it to your kids. I remember showing them the Trudeau one back in the summer and then this one again. It's so special and it will mean something to them because, hey, who isn't asking how Christmas is going to work this year? Mackling and McNabb with you. Brett McGarry returns on Monday. Loren, we're inviting text messages at 780-6868. The hashtag that's taking over social media. Change one word, ruin a Christmas song. What have you got? Well, as you can imagine, there's been a lot of COVID-related themes to this one. We've had some fun with uh, Feliz Navidad Bod, which uh, was my personal favorites. But Art has texted in with the clever one that's pretty indicative of these times he says change a word ruin a christmas song how about have yourself a zoomy little christmas well there we go a little tech a little covid reference uh well played art and not to mention physical distancing and our social responsibility to one another keeping separate doing the best that we can to stop the spread of covid19 we're going to take a little bit of a rest for the uh next uh, little while uh, at least this morning talking about covid19 jeff braun will have your news at the bottom of the hour that exciting news out of great britain that vaccinations could be starting should be starting there next week but Loren, we want to get local one more time as we start this hour. Yesterday was Giving Tuesday, and today we want to introduce to our listeners an organization committed to making our community a better place for those who are trying to cope with trying circumstances, many of which, well, let's just put it this way, most of us can only imagine. It's called One Just City, and they support three drop-in community centers in Winnipeg's core neighborhoods. And each of the drop-in sites serve those maybe living with addictions, those without a place to call home, or people shunned by others based on perhaps race, income, or sexual orientation. And its executive director is Tessa Blakey-Whitecloud, and she joins us now. Good morning, Tessa. Good morning. Thanks for having me. We're, uh, while we interbring you on, Tessa, I just want to make sure you can get to a... a best place in your house we have a bit of a connection issue um with you already so if you can buy a window i don't know if that actually works hold one hand up in the air or what goes on but your mandate is pretty extensive to help all sorts of people at your three drop-in sites it's uh pretty impressive where do you do this and and how do you aim to do it how does it all come together 
Yeah, so uh, we're really fortunate to have been uh, working with member charities that have been doing this work for decades. And One to City was founded about four years ago to try to increase their efficiency. So uh, our member charities are West Broadway Community Services, St. Matthews, Maryland Community Ministry, and Oak Table. So we're in Osborne Village, we're in the West End, and we're in the West Broadway neighborhood. Um, And then we also have Indigenous cultural programming at all three of those locations, recognizing that Unfortunately, Indigenous people are overrepresented in the populations experiencing poverty as a result of Canada's own history against them. So um, it's, it's important work, and uh, Wanda City is very excited to, to help make it stronger in our city that we all work together to be there for those who need it most. Tessa, that coming together of various resources, uh, I suppose that can be a challenge, but what's the advantage of, of finding maybe smaller community groups that have been doing good work and, and bringing them together uh, under one umbrella, so to speak? Yeah, I think the advantage is huge. Uh, so first of all, we get to have like, you know, one set of books and one set of accountants. And so there's some definite cost savings there. But I think another big part is just learning from each other. So as you know, uh, when the pandemic hit, we got to write one set of policies instead of three separate groups writing their own policies. So I think it's really helpful uh, in terms of increasing our capacity to do good in the community. Uh, and that's like the key goal. And so it's, It's helpful in that way. It's also helpful because, uh, you know, if we're down staff at one location because someone's in quarantine, we can move staff from another location um, or do other things to make sure that there's no interruption uh, in the services that so many in our city are relying on. You use the phrase so many and we know the need is growing, I think, Tessa, for so many of our most vulnerable. What are you hearing right now? We know in the summer we saw uh, many of those tent cities, so to speak, pop up at different locations. Mm -hmm. And and I know the demand for, you know, the cry for help really is, is probably only getting louder in the days and weeks ahead. Yeah, we've seen an increase, almost a doubling in access to our lunch programs. Um, The program that's really blowing up for us right now is our emergency food kit. So those are you know, mom can come in with her health card and say, it's three days until I get a paycheck and I've run out of food. And so we can set up, you know, with all of the kiddos on her health card, uh, an emergency food kit. And so that makes her uh, capable to feed her family until that until that next milestone payment. Um, so, you know, that's a huge program that's growing. And then, of course, we're looking to open just a warm sleep early this year. So that's the no barrier overnight warming space that we run out of Augustine Center, which is where our partner Oak Table is. Um, and... You know, people are already asking, and normally they don't start asking, especially when it's been such a mild fall. They normally don't start asking until closer to Christmas. I just want to jump in for a second, Greg, if I can, because Tessa, you highlighted something I think too many of us kind of overlook sometimes. You know, you we, when we talk about some of our more, more vulnerable, we think of those who are already on the street or already in the shelter system. And you mentioned the mom might come and say, "My paycheck's not available for the not coming to me for the next few days, and I don't have the food for my kids, or I don't have those needs." It's it's mm-hmm. it's also about the num the huge number of Manitobans that are living paycheck to paycheck and can't even get to the next paycheck right now, potentially. Absolutely. And so we're, you know, we're serving everybody from we have some newborns that we, we get formula for all the way to people in their late 90s. Um, you know, many of our guests are housed, but we're the difference between keeping that housing and going hungry. Um, so, you know, if they didn't have the opportunity to eat when we're serving meals, they would not eat because all of their money for food and everything else is going to rent. And so I think it's a really crucial aspect of keeping people housed to make sure that they have enough food to eat. Uh, sharing stories and experiences is such a powerful way to to get to the not only to the bottom of where people are at and that we, we hear that saying meet me where I'm at and 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 that's a, a, a creative way or an essential way in my mind to to build the building blocks of, of helping people get to where they want to go understanding where they are but before we let you go I would re- be remiss if I didn't ask you've got about 30 seconds here to tout the work of our friend uh, Lara Ray and what she does in your organization because she is such a bright light in our community yeah lara is fantastic so we brought her on at the beginning of uh, the pandemic uh, to help us out we normally run on volunteer power so normally we have up to like five full-time volunteers per site each day uh, but because of COVID, obviously, and social distancing and that most of our volunteers are seniors, we needed a strong leader to come in uh, to our West Broadway location. And so Lara has been making sure that the meals that are going out to our community are not only delicious and healthy, but that they're also fabulous. Um, and so that's just been fantastic. And, uh, and, you know, we've got a lot of new hires right now, a bigger team than normal. But we're, again, just trying to make sure that nobody goes without what they need. Um, and even during a pandemic that they can rely on all of Winnipeggers who donate to us uh, through wondercity.ca 
to continue to be able to provide for them and their family. Tessa, thank you for this. We appreciate what you do in our community. That website, one more time, is the number one, justcity.ca. You can reach out there and you can donate. And the fantastic website will we'll share with you the things that they're up to in our community. Tessa, let's keep in touch. Okay, thanks so much for having me. It is the start on 680 CJOB, Mackling McNabb. McGarry's back next Monday. And Loren, this next conversation is one of a series that we've been doing with an educational facility, an institution I can see from where I sit, high above Portage, Maine at 201 Portage, facing a little bit north and a little bit west, Red River College. And we know staffing is a big issue in our fight against COVID, keeping our frontline workers healthy so that the hospitals can keep up with the demand. And there's the work being done at our testing facilities as well. Yeah, we know the ability to test for COVID-19 and then getting those results back to Manitobans as quickly as possible is key. And so that's why Red River College, as you mentioned, Greg, announced a few months ago that it was going to team up with the province to create programs that would essentially train Manitobans to help a temporary workforce to help fill the gaps that we've noticed uh, ever since this pandemic hit our province. (laughs) Fred Meyer is the CEO of Red River College and joins us now. Good morning, Fred. Good morning, Lauren. So let's start with the the testing facilities and the work that's being done at the college to get Manitobans in there to help. How does the program work? How many hours of training is required before they can get on the job? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a new role for us that uh, that we were asked to take on here at the college and, and proud to take on that role as well. The the province, as you know, is expanding testing facilities inside of the province to meet the, the need and get the, the amount of tests up inside of the province. And one of the things that was identified was a shortage of, of people who were trained to actually do uh, this very uh, specific type of, of swab test as well. So they reached out to us. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we asked our professionals and, and people who have uh, this deep expertise in the college to, uh, to come up with a solution. And uh, they turned it around quite quickly, actually, in, in, in a matter of days, developed a, a new five-day course to train certified and licensed healthcare professionals and, and also students to safely conduct this new nasal swab test. So we, uh, we moved this forward uh, quite quickly. The first cohort started on October 19th. I think that was probably about a week after we had the request come to us, and uh, it's a as I said, a, a five-day course. It's a blend of online, so students will do their online learning for a component, and then they'll come in for, for an in-person um, uh, component of learning as well, and, and we've got uh, not only the facilities here, but the equipment necessary, and uh, the professionals to help them walk through that. So we're going to continue this until December 14th, and uh, we think that uh, by that time we'll, we'll have over 100 uh, new people trained in, in this technique and available to, uh, to help those, uh, those sites as well. Fred, these are called micro-credential courses, and I, I want to know if this is the, the way of the future in a moment here, but just this whole notion of creating something on the fly like this, a five-day micro-credential course that will help what's going on in our, our province, what type of people have been attracted to, to take this course? Well, this first course was one that we, we really targeted at people who had, um, you know, previous um, um, experience in, in, in health. So the students in, in places like nursing and, and practical nursing and, and psychiatric nursing as well, uh, medical students, we had uh, healthcare aides and med lab and uh, occupational therapists. Those were the, 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 the ones that we were looking for as we, uh, as we entered into trying to find a pool of candidates because you needed to have some background. And, and so that's what we leaned on. And, and you know, the response was incredible. We, we filled our cohorts so quickly and this really tells you you know the, the the quality of individuals that we have working in this field and in, in in our province and and really stepping up uh, in our time of need to say yeah you know I've got the skills I'll take this course I'll move forward and I'll, and I'll put my name in to uh, to help out on the testing site so that's great 
you asked about the micro-credentials, and yeah, that is a, a new area that we've been looking at focusing on. And uh, really what this is, is these are, are sort of short, uh, intentional, uh, immediate bursts of training, really, to, to get people up to a certain type of skill. Now, this is not the same as somebody who has a full diploma or certificate with us, but it really gives them very specific training in this, uh, in this short burst. It also allows them to take that training and stack it on top of other types of training. So you'll come to us for one of these swab courses. When you come back to us again, we'll be able to provide you another micro-credential or another short course. Eventually, you stack those up and you can get to your certificate or your diploma. It allows people who haven't been able to take time out and, uh, and take a full program or with a full course load, allows them to take these smaller parts of training, uh, get, gain some level of employment, and then come back with additional uh, learning in the future. I can imagine in the case of just the nasal swab, the testing for COVID, that the demand is there. But what are you hearing from other types of employers, Fred, in terms of how these micro-credential programs are received? Because at the end of the day, people want to take these courses. Yes, you want to, you want to make your resume look good. You want to improve your skills. But people need jobs. And so I'm curious how they're leading to future jobs for folks who might be um, considering these programs. Yeah, you know, we we've, we're, we're, we do two things. One of them is that uh, we can customize them for an employer. So if an employer is coming to us for reskilling, for example, or upskilling some of their workforce, we can develop micro-credentials to help them do that. It's a customized curriculum that, uh, that meets their specific needs. So employers are coming to us right now and asking us for this, this type of training, and, and we've uh, sort of uh, obliged that and, and sort of developed these. So we have our, our corporate training group that, uh, that leads that. And then we're doing these these other micro-credentials that are essentially the, the, the standalone ones, and we had a, a number of them listed on our, our website as well. Demand that we see out there right now, um, you know, we had one on the gig economy, for example, where people can come in, they can take some training on that specific aspect, and then leave with, with a credential that, uh, that moves forward. What we are hearing from employers more and more is that they want specific types of skills developed, and, and many of these skills are, are what people deem as uh, employability or 24 First century skills, and those are really, you know, strong communication and collaboration, problem solving, and those types of aspects as well. So this allows somebody with a credential already through any type of post-secondary or, or, or somebody that's in the workforce already to come and start to skill up in those specific areas as well. Fred, I love hearing this. Uh, responsiveness is the name of the game in the economy right now for all sorts of businesses. They're having to pivot. They're having to change direction in order to, A, stay open, but also to satisfy the needs of their customers and society right now. We appreciate you taking some time and, and bringing us behind the curtain, so to speak, at Red River College. You're doing incredible stuff there, Fred. Let's visit again soon. Thank you very much for the time this morning, Greg and Loren. This morning, we've been uh, forced to sort of sing some of your answers in order to give them the tribute they're worthy of. But the problem is, when I do it, it doesn't come out quite right. And Don has it bang on here. If Greg had to sing for his supper, he'd starve. (laughs) That's not nice. It's true. It's absolutely true. When it comes to singing, I believe this, Loren. Just because you can't doesn't mean you shouldn't. Well, (laughs) someone who should always do Twas the Night Before Christmas, and he's been doing it for years, a sports version, is our own Kelly Moore. And Big Al stepped up to the plate today. He's twisted the rules on the... uh, Santa Lucia pizza giveaway. So I don't know if we can actually give him the pizza for this, but we have given him the royal treatment with regard to uh, the sterling tones of one Kelly Moore, complete with music bed. I'm just pressing play. Twas the night before lockdown when all through the house, the only thing stirring was me and a mouse. The TP and sanitizer were hoarded with care in hopes that Brett Rusin soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of school cohorts danced in their heads. And mama in her leggings and I with no pants. I had a Zoom meeting but I decided to nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the bed to see Brian Pallister. Away to the window, 
I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters, and threw on a mask. The lights at the presser, the 12.30 show, gave the luster of midday to safely distance reporters below. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but Lynette Saragusa, and she was damn near in tears. With a little old driver, so lively and quick, I brandished a thermometer, I thought he looked sick. More rapid than eagles, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Friesen, now Pallister, now Lynette and Gertsen, on Tam, on Trudeau, on Rusin and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now stay away, stay away, six feet from one and all. A standing ovation. Well done, Kelly. But well done, Big Al. I think he said he did that in about ten minutes. So you got a talent struggled- there, Al. I had to steal from the the internet Felice Navidad bod. And Al goes and writes a full brand new poem. One word I think evokes certain emotions in our community, and it's the name. It's the name of a hockey player uh, beloved in these parts. Last name, Howarchuk. And the legacy of one of the greatest hockey players ever to play the game in our city continues to grow, as does the connection between his family and the place he played for nine seasons as a member of the Jets. He wasn't born here, but as we know by now, the late Dale Howarchuk considered himself a Winnipegger. His son, Eric, was born here. Hey, so we've had such insane support on the Howard Chuck Strong 12 Days of Giving that we are actually going to add Winnipeg to the roster. Um, of course, I'm a born Winnipegger. feel like I can't leave it out this Christmas. We were going to do something in January, but we're going to do it now. So that was the voice of Eric Karachuk. And of course, the hashtag is Howard Chuck Strong. You may have seen it on social media, and you may have even seen people you know wearing Howard Chuck Strong merchandise. Eric joins us now on The Start. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for taking the time. And, and before we find out more just about what you and your family are doing with Howard Chuck Strong, I know this is a tough time of year for, for many Canadians who've been through loss in the past few months or even past few years. And so how are you and your family doing as you prepare for Christmas without your dad for the first time? Oh, uh, yeah, you know, we're doing all right. Uh, we got uh, we got a roof over our heads, everything like that. You know, we're, we're very blessed in that way. Um, you know, and there's a lot of people out there that just aren't as fortunate. And uh, we want to try to do our part to, you know, help as many people as we can. And, of course, Winnipeg being where I'm from and my mom's from, um, it always holds a special place in our family's heart. And uh, we're really excited to kind of bring something back in the Manitoba. Yeah, I want to uh, just uh, a little bit about your dad uh, as well, Eric, if I might. Uh, I feel like we're getting to know your dad a little bit better in his passing. And I know that's not necessarily uncommon, but your dad was so soft-spoken uh, as an individual. Uh, in the dressing room, a little bit different, I know. But in the community, he was always approachable, always so kind, and didn't grow up in the era of social media. Not every single hockey game was on TV. So I think even in our own community, Dale Howarchuk, as a hockey player, was underappreciated and underestimated, not by all, but by some. And I think we never necessarily got a chance always to, to get to know your dad. Is that an unfair assessment or, or, or is there something to that? No, well, you know, I think that's kind of just the way uh, things are. You know, it's like artists, right? They don't sell any work till they pass, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, like for him, I I feel like uh, ever since he has passed the, the, support around the entire hockey world has been incredible and um you know manitoba i've always felt a strong sense of people's appreciation for him and people always reach out from winnipeg area with stories of when their kids watching them play and um that's always kind of been there and that's been a really really cool thing um but i think it's kind of i feel like in a lot of ways a lot of people from winnipeg are kind of starting to say yeah see we told you he's a big deal Mm. and uh yeah, you know, and most importantly, he was a good person, and um, you know that—that's what I remember him as. Mm. 
Yeah, I think that's what we're learning as well. Serge Savard really, you know, asked for a special printing of his book in English so that he could add some stories about your dad in that book. And Serge Savard, one of the true gentlemen in the history of hockey, for Serge Savard to hold your dad in that esteem, Eric, I just think says so much about the person that that Dale Howarchuk was. Yeah, um, well, I know my dad actually uh, always really looked up to Serge and um, they had a really good relationship. I know uh, my dad used to babysit his kids a bit when uh, they lived on the same street there in Winnipeg. So they, they had some good stories. And, uh, yeah, I thought that was really cool that Serge did that for Dale. Talk about your dad in the sense of what you'll always remember about him is him being a good person. So I'm curious, uh, is there one you know line or piece of advice that you always think of that your dad passed along to you that sticks in your mind? I, I know we all have it, right? Our parents repeat things to us over and over again. Read, and sometimes... read the play. That's Say that again? Read the play. That's always what he said to me and to us. Um, he would use it when I was driving and I hit the brakes hard. He'd say, you got to read the play, kid. Uh, you know, it, that, that always sticks out in my head as something he, he, would, he would tell us. Just as you say that, I could hear your dad saying it. And uh, you share you share something else with your dad, and that's a love of golf. Your dad was quite the golfer. In fact, I, I told him uh, this story that uh, the day that, or the weekend, I guess it was, that that uh, the Howarchuk family got traded to Buffalo. It was heartbreaking for so many of us Jets fans. But there was a garage sale going on at your house, and my dad picked up a putter that belonged to your dad. I'm a lefty. Your dad was a lefty. Are you a lefty as well? Yes, I'm a lefty. My brother and sister are also left-handed. My mom's the only righty. Um, Actually, I remember we were in North Carolina on like a family trip, and my mom was watching the four of us. Uh, hit balls and a couple walks by and they're like man there's something you don't see every day it's uh, four <laughs> lefties in a row especially down there there's no left-handed golfers so uh, to have four in a row on the range they're, they're calling their neighbors to come out and look <laughs> well that's a great story and uh, I cherish that that putter until one of my brothers stole it from me so uh, I feel uh, an extra special connection to your dad and so this connection yeah, you, that- gotta tra- you gotta track it down I know I've got to track it down. Okay, well, it had red tape on it, so uh, if my brothers are listening, you guys better start scouring your basements because I'm coming over to find it. Uh, so this connection with, with Winnipeg, Eric, you were born here, and so Howard Chuck Strong, I bought some uh, Howard Chuck Strong merchandise for one of my best buddies and for my my son, my son's before your dad passed away. It's extra special now. Tell us about the movement, I would call it, and, and what you're doing uh, in your hometown and what you'd like to do here in winnipeg yeah uh i don't really know why or how we came up with it we were trying to think of something kind of cool and unique to do this holiday season with the initiative and uh you know we've had charities reach out and it's nice to give a big lump to someone but there's so many i feel like there's no one that's been immune from the hardships of everything economically this year so uh our, we came up with the 12 days of uh, giving and uh, we were going to do it in Simcoe County just because it was close. And with everything that's going on, we kind of wanted to be in person, but as we posted it, we had such good feedback and I was like, you know what, why don't we just do it in Winnipeg? And like, of course we can't, it's things that we can't be there, but uh, let's just help them out this year and they need it. Uh, so yeah, we're picking 12 charities in the Barry area and 12 in the, uh, greater Winnipeg um, and not even just charities, whatever organizations, whether it's a minor hockey or um, a rotary, you know, we, we can talk about that and we're going to sit down and we're, we're encouraging people to write to us on our social media, how we're Chuck strong and uh, send us who you think needs some help. And we, we're going to do our best to help them. And each charity is going to get a thousand bucks. Plus we're going to give uh, $5 per item that we sell online between December 12th and 23rd uh, to the charity of your choice. You'll be able to kind of click which charity you want the extra five to go to. Wow. You know, it's so incredible that you're doing this, but I can only imagine with the need so great out there right now, Eric, that you've just, you must be inundated in many ways from folks who are saying, yeah, you know, pick me, pick me. We could really use some help. 
Yeah, and of course that that's also like the hard part about when you kind of open up for this. You I, you can't pick every single one, but um, you know we're definitely going to consider if you're not picked this year, we're we're going to be doing stuff down the road, and we can we'll we'll find a way to help. Uh, eventually it just may not be this particular one but we're just excited to kind of start here and hopefully it grows and by next year it'll be bigger Eric on behalf of uh, thousands of Winnipegers who loved your dad uh, not only as a hockey player but as a person thank you for sharing him with us for all these years he is uh, in our mind will always be a Winnipegger as will you and uh, this connection to our city is uh, only going to grow stronger in the coming years thanks for doing this and uh, we, we, we appreciate your time. Hey, thank you for having me on. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, maybe maybe uh, during the 12th to 23rd, I'll come on each day and let you know which charity or something we can talk about it. Hey, let's Please keep do. in touch. We'd love to do that. Love to your family as well in Barrie as uh, we make our way towards uh, Christmas. Thanks again, uh, Eric. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.